in a sermon series started last week called uh, Summertime Blues. If you are going to put something on social media today about the service or about the message or the music or our girls or whatever, please put the hashtag Summertime Blues and that way we'll all be able to see what you wrote. Also, if you'd like sermon notes, you know what to do. There's the email address. Just send us an email and we will send you the sermon notes. I believe that one of the reasons you're in church today, and one of the things I love about the culture of the bridge, is that you do not want to go through life. As a matter of fact, you refuse to go through life in survival mode. One of the things I love about the leadership of our church, our church family, our owners, the folks who have just started attending, maybe you're here for the first time, but one of the things I love that we've developed over the years is this knowledge that God wants us to thrive, that God doesn't want us to just get by, that God doesn't want us to just survive. One of my um, favorite speakers, he's passed away now, his name was Jim Rohn. Some of you uh, may have heard him, he was sort of a motivational speaker uh, just a lot of wisdom in him, and he wrote this, or he said this in one of his talks, and I wrote it down, and I want to read it to you. He said, the essence of life is growth, to do the best you can. And here's what's interesting. Humans are the only life form that will do less than they possibly can, that will settle for less Every life form except human beings strive to achieve their maximum capacity. In other words, how tall will a tree grow? A tree will always grow as tall as it possibly can. You've never heard of a tree growing half as high as it could. No, a tree never grows to half its potential and then says, I guess that'll do. A tree will drive its roots down as deep as it can. It will stretch as high and as wide as nature will allow its limbs to go. It will soak up as much of the nutrients and moisture from the soil as it possibly can. It will produce as much fruit as is possible. And then that tree kind of looks down on everybody to remind us of how much each of us could become if only we would do all that we can. Why is it that human beings, surely the most intelligent life form on earth, does not strive to achieve their maximum potential? Why is it that we allow ourselves to stop halfway? Why are we not constantly striving to become all that we can be? The reason is that we are the only life creation that's been given the dignity of choice. The dignity of choice makes us different from all other life forms. And here's the choice we've been given. To become only part of what we could be, enough to get by, or to become all that we could be. Then Jim Rohn says, my best advice to you is to choose the all. And when I read that, and I know that's in a secular context, but it made me think about God and how he has designed us so that we're not content to be where we are in life. We're not content to just know what we already know. We're not content to just 
do what we already do. If you'll think about it, God has designed us to grow. God has designed us to act. God has designed us to thrive. He, he designed us so that we love challenges. We want to be challenged. We, we desire adventure in our life. As a matter of fact, we want to be heroes. And by that I mean we want our life to make a difference. When this life is over and we're at the end, we want to be able to look back and know we made a difference. God created us with a healthy discontent. Now there is an unhealthy discontent and there's a healthy discontent. God made us with a healthy discontent. The problem is this. The problem is that the universal and contagious disease called discouragement often destroys this wonderful God-given drive that has been put inside of each of us. Discouragement. When discouragement comes along, if we don't deal with it, and you hear me say this over and over again, you heard me say it last week several times, when we don't deal with discouragement and it all it comes along to all of us, when we don't deal with it intentionally, when we don't deal with it aggressively, when we don't address it in our response, it can become a cancer to the soul. Discouragement can destroy our dreams and steal away the joyful and fruitful life God intended us to have. Discouragement, as I've said already, is something we all have in common. The only difference between your discouragement and the, and the level of discouragement next, uh, in the person next to you is how severely and how often it's going to hit you. And when you think about it, in some situations... Discouragement can actually be worse than depression. Now, don't misunderstand me. Depression is not a good thing. Depression is a very serious matter that needs to be addressed. I'm, a, I'm not underestimating the destructive nature of depression, and a lot of you sitting here know what that is, and you have lived in that world. But, you know, my point is that depression can be diagnosed. Depression can be named. It can be treated there's counseling, there's medication, there's other things that you can do with depression. But discouragement, on the other hand, can hide. It can hide in your life and become a deceptive joy killer within us. It's almost like a slow-growing mold. Discouragement can creep into every corner of our mind and put a layer of pessimism and negativity over everything. I want us to look very quickly at two ways, and you ought to be very excited that I just told you I'm going to tell you two ways. Two ways that discouragement has the potential to bring devastation and great harm to your life in the sense of what you could achieve and what God could do through you. First of all, discouragement prevents you from living the victorious life that God intended for his followers. Here's what I mean. When you're battling discouragement, when discouragement sets in because of circumstances of life or whatever may be causing it, and you don't deal with it, you don't address it, you let it kind of go on, you kind of take the attitude of, well, it'll go away. Over time, things will get better, and it'll go away. But here's the problem with that. If you don't 
own it, if you don't recognize it, if you don't name it, if you don't begin to take steps to address it, it begins to blur your perspective on your life. It begins to distort your perspective on everything. It clouds your overall mood. Sometimes you don't even know that it's clouded your mood and it's always in a negative way. Follow my thinking on this. Listen, discouragement, when you don't deal with it aggressively, when you don't deal with it intentionally, steals your joy. And when you become a joyless person, think about it. When you become a joyless person, eventually it turns you into a critical person. It turns you into a negative person. And again, if you don't have somebody speaking into your life, if you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to speak into your life, if you're not allowing the Word of God to speak into your life on a regular basis, then that sense of um, having that critical spirit, that, that vibe of negativity and pessimism that you put off, you don't even recognize it. But those around you do recognize it and the result of that is that you become difficult to be around. You become difficult to be with. Ultimately, your most cherished relationships can be damaged or even destroyed because you've not addressed the discouragement in your life. In turn, the loss of precious relationships feeds the discouragement. You're disappointed in people. They're not reacting to you the same. They're not spending as much time with you. So that discouragement just grows and the cycle continues and it's in a downward spiral. Discouragement that goes unaddressed will keep you from celebrating life. Discouragement when you don't deal with it will cause you to miss out on enjoying unrecoverable moments in your life. How many of you, like me, look back on the days when you were a young, I'll speak to the men here. Ladies, you're out with me just preaching to the men, aren't you? I just remember when I was a, a poor husband, my wife, if she was here, she would go, poorer, a poorer husband. I remember when things would bother me and I would let it affect my relationship with my bride. Things would bother me and I would let it affect my time with my children. Those are, those are unrecoverable moments of celebration and joy. But because you allow discouragement to seize you, you miss out on those. Now, I'm not saying you can't do a whole lot to make up for that. But I, I want to just speak to you young dads and you young moms. You're going to have discouraging times. You're going to have negative times. You're going to have unexpected battles and unexpected storms. And you're going to have financial difficulties and relationship difficulties. Here's what I would say to you. All of us battle with that. All of us go through that. I just wish somebody had sit down with me when I was about 23, 24 years old and said, Listen. The thing you're discouraged about, the thing you're letting distort your perspective, the thing you're letting cloud your life, you're missing stuff with your boys. You're going to miss stuff with your wife. Make sure that when that comes that you understand everybody deals with that and, and don't let it steal those, those precious times. Discouragement creates an unhealthy discontent. I told you God puts a healthy discontent in us to want to be better, do more, achieve more for his glory and for his honor and in his kingdom. That's a good discontentment. 
But then there's that unhealthy sense of discontent where you're, where you're never satisfied. I don't know whether, um, I'm sure you can relate to what I'm about to say, but uh, when it comes to food, Thanksgiving is my best holiday. Who's with me out there? I love Christmas, but I noticed that my mom and my wife didn't really put it out there at Christmas. I don't mean to indict them, but I thought I would make that public, that that is a concern I have. But Thanksgiving, it's just about the food, baby. And the people said, amen. Who's ready for autumn and Thanksgiving and pumpkins and stuff like that? Who's with me out there? Amen. So... I remember one Christmas, though, that, um, and that's my secret favorite holiday when it comes to food, but I remember one Christmas, I woke up on Christmas Eve, and that's always an exciting day, uh, especially if you've got kids, and you're going over to family, and you're going to see everybody, and the food's going to be awesome, and you want to get there early so you can inhale the smell from the kitchen and all that, but I woke up that morning, and I felt this little, mmm right in here. You know what I mean? A little wave of nausea that I was like, no, that's nothing. That's nothing. It's morning sickness, you know. <laughs> and so I was like, man, what in the world? And because I never have that unless I'm really sick. But on that day, I was like, this cannot be happening. It's not happening. I refuse it in the name of Jesus. And Jesus was like, all right. And so <laughs> through the day, I would just get this wave once in a while. And then we went over to mom's and the kids were there, and I found myself kind of not sitting up on the sofa, but kind of leaning over on the sofa and putting my head down on the arm of the sofa. And I noticed that mom's food didn't smell as good as it normally does on Thanksgiving. I wondered if she was trying something new. <laughs> so I got more and more, and then as we approached the meal time, I was like, I cannot do this. I got to go home. Here's my point. When you've got that feeling of nausea, it doesn't matter how good the food looks. It doesn't matter how good the food smells. It doesn't look good to you. And it doesn't smell good to you. And that's what discouragement does to your perspective on life when you don't deal with it biblically, when you don't deal with it spiritually, when you don't address it, when you're not intentional about it, when you allow it to just get roots down in your life. It changes not only your perspective related to that circumstance that is brought on to discouragement, but it begins to bleed over into other areas of your life. And no matter how beautiful something is or no matter how uh, much of a celebration it is or no matter what a joy it is, because you've got this thing, you haven't brought to God in prayer, you haven't laid it down on the altar, that thing is there. And so it just puts this thin layer of negativity, this thin layer of pessimism over every part of your life. So I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you today. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate you today. See, when discouragement comes into your life and you don't check it, you don't let somebody help you see it, you don't have people in your life who can speak into you, when you allow that to happen, you're not living as God intended. You're sidetracked. You're living far below your potential. You're off the rails. Let me just say this before we move on to the second reason. 
Discouragement, get this, is a thief. Some of you are discouraged this morning. Some of you have had some injustice in your life. You've been treated unfairly. Some of you had some expectations to be at a certain place in your life this morning and you're not there. Some things you wanted to achieve, some relationships you wanted to build, some levels of effectiveness you've wanted to achieve, you just haven't done it. And this morning, if you let that all come to the surface in all its strength, you would get very discouraged. So I'm challenging you to let this word speak to you today. It's not a deep message today. I'm not preaching an expository verse by verse, word by word uh, teaching of the scripture today. But it certainly is scripturally founded. And I'm just telling you that you can't let that go unchecked. The longer you let that go unchecked in your life, the deeper the roots are going to get, the more powerful it's going to be. And not only that, it's going to become more widespread over other areas of your, of your life. And what used to give you joy won't give you joy anymore. And you won't know why. You won't be able to put your finger on it. But it's because of a discouraging or disappointing situation. Or, or listen, one of the most powerful things um, I think as you look at the world and I look at the world and even my own world is when we see injustice or we've been treated with injustice and we, we see unfair things going on that affects us. It causes us to become gloomy. It causes us to look at things in a negative way and it clouds our whole life. And my word to you today is that God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. We're going to talk today a little bit about how to deal with it and what to do about it. But the next two weeks of this sermon series, we're going to get right down into the nuts and bolts of a strategic plan for dealing with discouragement. Because here's what I want for you. Here's what I want for you. I want you to have a strategy when discouragement comes, and it's coming, and when it comes, I want you to go, first thing I need to do is this. Second thing I need to do is this. Here's some things I need to do because I'm not letting myself get down into that pit. I'm not letting myself get down into that deep valley. Discouragement is a thief. Um, we talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to magnify, I want to talk a little bit deeper about it because it's so important. Discouragement exposes you, and really what would have been a better word is that discouragement uh, makes you vulnerable to temptation. It makes you vulnerable to temptation. For those of you who are followers of Jesus today, you know, don't you, that since we got saved, since we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we are rarely tempted anymore. How many of you know that's not true? How many of you feel like since you got saved, you've been tempted more? Amen? And those of you who aren't raising your hand, you're lying. So come to the altar right after service, and I'll pray for you. Discouragement exposes you to temptation. It makes you vulnerable. Let's face it. When you are discouraged, your spiritual barriers, your spiritual strength is lowered, and you're more likely to give in to temptation. When you've given in to temptation, chances are pretty high that you're discouraged about something. Think about it. 
when you give in to temptation, think about those times when you look back and go, man, I, I was tempted and then I gave in. I did it. A lot of times, not all the time, and I'm not trying to give excuses. There is no excuse for sin. You're held accountable for your disobedience. But a lot of times you were set up by discouragement and you didn't address it. You didn't treat it intentionally. You didn't, you didn't look at it and say, that's what that is, and I know if I don't deal with it, this is going to happen to me. And you kind of let it happen. You let it get those roots down. You know, it's kind of like when you're on a diet that's not working. Anybody been there? You know, you're trying that new diet, the prune juice and organic tree bark diet. And it's just not working for you. And before that diet, you were kind of okay, but since that diet, you've been wanting Krispy Kreme more. And the people said, I mean, I just, when I'm on a diet, I, I want Krispy Kreme more, and I want to follow it up with some Briar's chocolate chip mint. Amen. So discouragement can set you up for failure. Let me, um, let me just really be transparent and honest with you about my own personal life today. Most of you know that my son Mitch passed away in March of 2014 from a drug overdose. I look back on the days before his death, and I look back at the darkest times of his addiction. And I got discouraged during that time. And sometimes I dealt with it. And sometimes I reached out to you and you helped me and you loved on me. And let me tell you, during Mitch's addiction and, and during the horrible time of his death and the time that's followed since his death, can I say to you, Bridge, you've been awesome. You've been awesome to me and Millie and our family. But I want to say something to you today. There were times during that really, really hard struggle with Mitch's addiction. And you know, moms deal with addiction different than dads. Most of the time, the dad wants to really lay down the law, and the mom wants to be more understanding. I've run into a few cases where it's flipped back the other way, but most of the time, that's how it is. And so it caused friction between me and Millie. And it caused me sometimes to get so discouraged, I didn't address it, I didn't own it, I didn't recognize it, I didn't name it. And in those times of discouragement, I hurt other people. I hurt other people. In those times of discouragement, I was tempted and I gave in to the temptation. And I look back on those days and... I always, it always brings tears to my eyes. Now, don't misunderstand me. Me falling during those times in my own life, no excuse. I'm a man of God. I'm a Christian. I have the power of the Holy Spirit. I have access to that in my life. I have the access to Him in my life. I have the access to His Word, but I didn't choose it. I didn't choose it. I, I let the discouragement take over. I let the discouragement overwhelmed me. I didn't have to let it, but I did let it. And when I got into the discouragement, the enemy saw it. 
and things that I wouldn't normally be tempted to do, he would set me up and I would fall and I would stumble. And I remember during those days apologizing to so many people. Here's what I'm saying to you. He's going to set you. You're sitting here today. You're discouraged. You're sitting here right now. I'm telling you, he's going to set you up. He's going to set you up. What does the enemy want us to do above all things? What does he want us to do? Let me ask you a question. When you go to Luke chapter 4, and don't do it now because I'll be tempted to preach on it, but if you go to Luke chapter 4, you're going to find a story about Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was hungry. And he was isolated. And who came to him? Satan came to him and brought temptation to him. Brought temptation to him at a time that he thought Jesus would be vulnerable. But Jesus is our example. You say, well, that was Jesus. That's why he didn't fall to sin. Listen, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, Jesus was tempted in what? All points, like as we are, yet without sin. And I'm just saying to you, be aware, be aware today. Don't let the enemy lead you into a wilderness. The Holy Spirit led Jesus there. The enemy met him there. But I'm telling you today that the enemy wants to lead you into a wilderness. And sometimes God will allow you to go into that wilderness to test you. But the power of God, the presence of God, the provision of God, the Word of God is available to you to give you the victory. I'm not saying I've always passed that test. I haven't. But I'm just telling you I didn't have to fail. I failed the test, but I didn't have to fail. And you don't have to fail either. Let me give you four very destructive words. Four very destructive words. When you say this, you're about to mess up. When you say, I might as well, whatever the blank is after that. You get so down, you get so beat up, you get so discouraged, you say, I might as well eat that. I might as well drink that. I might as well take that pill. I might as well buy that. I might as well steal that. Things are so bad, I might as well lie about that. I might as well click on that website. I feel so low. I might as well start that inappropriate relationship with that man who's flirting with me or that woman who's flirting with me. I might as well, and the list goes on and on and on. So let that be a test, because I've said that to me. I've said that to myself. <clears throat> Sometimes I'm my worst counselor. And you're your worst counselor when you go, hey, Farrell, put your name there. Hey, you, with things like they are, with things as bad as they are, with things as dark as they are, with things as bleak as they are, I might as well just... When you say that in your mind, let the alarms of God's Holy Spirit go off in your head and awaken you to the fact that you're about to mess up. When you give in to temptation, do you feel better? No. No. 
you're like, I'm giving into this. It's just too strong. And then you give into it. And the one who tempted you now becomes your accuser. And when he tempted you to do it and then you gave into it, now he turns around and goes on the other side of you and goes, look at you. Look what you did. I never feel better when I give in to temptation. It sidetracks me further. It starts a more vicious cycle of destruction. You're now more discouraged because you gave in and the spiral downward increases in speed. I wonder how many of you here today, if you were honest, would say, I battle with discouragement a lot more than I let on. Well, here's the word for you. Join the club. You're not alone. This is one of the main messages I want to get to you in this series, is that if you battle discouragement, no matter where you are spiritually, no matter where you are in your walk with God, no matter where you are in your prayer life, no matter where you are in your knowledge of the Word of God, if you battle discouragement and you're going to you need to understand you're not alone one of the great things and you guys have heard me teach this before one of the greatest weapons in the enemy's arsenal is he wants you to think you're the only one he wants you to think nobody's as weak as you nobody uh, is tempted like you nobody struggles the way you do you're the worst you're the worst let me tell you something he says that to all of us he says that to all of us. My greatest encouragement as I close this message today is God's Word. And I know you might say, but what about the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit? Well, last I checked, He wrote the book. Amen? The Holy Spirit wrote the book, so I always immediately go to the Word of God. The Word of God is my greatest encouragement. When I see how God filled the Bible with stories of men and women who were trying to pursue his ways. They were trying to do his will. I think about Elijah, when Elijah was um, um, up on uh, the mount, and he was by the brook Cherith. And uh, while everybody else was in famine, while everybody else was dying, God brought him water through the brook Cherith, and bread and flesh was brought, that uh, is Old Testament for sausage biscuits, through a bird. A bird brought him food. I mean, here he is with one foot in the creek and he's laying back on a rock and God's bringing him two meals a day while everybody else is dying. And the reason he did it is because Elijah was faithful. Elijah trusted God in the famine. Elijah trusted God in the bad times and so God rewarded him. But then one day the Bible says what? The brook dried up. And it doesn't say Elijah did anything wrong. How many of you know sometimes the brook will dry up when you've done nothing wrong that you can see? And so we read about men like Elijah. We read in the lives of men like Abraham and David and Moses and Peter and other great heroes of the Bible, story after story of how the enemy used discouragement to extinguish their passion for God. It lets me know I'm not damaged goods. When I read those stories, how many of you are glad that the Bible doesn't just record the victories of those men, but it records how David fell into sin? It records how 
uh, Abraham sinned. It records how Moses sinned. It records how, records how they reacted in times of discouragement when they were down. Here's what Moses prayed. And I'm going to tell you exactly what he prayed. This is the Pharaoh Hardison version. He said, God, why did you give me all these people? Kill me. I'm not kidding you. He said, matter of fact, here's what Moses said. He said, if you love me, God, you will kill me. That's how low he was. That's how discouraged he was. If you want to study discouragement, if you want to study about the reaction that men have had to discouragement, a great place to start is the Psalms, especially in David's Psalms when he was down. I love the book of Psalms, how that God puts David's honest prayers in there of God how long are you going to leave me and how long are you going to ignore me and how long are you going to let your let my enemies have victory over me I mean David and here's a Hebrew word y'all might want to write this down look it up ticked off David was ticked off and God put those prayers in the Bible isn't that amazing that David was ticked off. I mean, he was angry at God, and he cried out to God in those times of frustration and discouragement and even anger, and God put it in the Bible. He wanted you to see it. He wanted you to read it. But I love David's Psalms because he always ends with, but God, I know you love me, and I'm really sorry I said that, and I need your strength. I love that about David. And So the largest book in the Bible is Psalms. It's in that stiff part of your Bible, the Old Testament. There are four categories of the Psalms, and you may have read uh, authors who categorize them differently, but when I was in Bible college, we studied the wisdom Psalms. We studied the thanksgiving Psalms. We studied the royal Psalms, or Psalms about the king. But the fourth category of Psalms, listen to this, and the biggest category were psalms of lament. And that word means weeping. Probably more accurately, it means whining. Psalms of whining, psalms of weeping, psalms of complaining. The largest, I thought this was interesting, the largest section of the largest and most popular book in the Bible is about discouragement. The largest section of the largest and most popular book of the Bible is about discouragement. Discouragement's universal. Discouragement is repetitive. Discouragement is a problem no matter where a person is spiritually. The enemy will constantly attempt to use it against you. Now, I'm going to read through a psalm. Don't let, don't let this make you nervous. I'm not going to preach on every verse. But I'm going to read through a psalm, Psalm 142. I'm going to read it out of the message for clarity. And it's an example of what I'm talking about. Now, let me do a setting here for you. David had had everything. Now he feels like he's lost everything. You ever felt like that? David's on the run from a jealous king. He's on the run from the enemy. And when he writes this psalm, guess where he's at? Psalm 142, guess where he's at? In a cave. He's in a cave dodging bats, complaining, whining, and crying out to God. Who's been there? Amen. You say, I've never been in a cave. Okay. All right. Not that literal. Here we go. Watch this. Psalm 142. David says, I cry out how? Listen, when you're discouraged, don't be giving no sissy prayers. 
When you're discouraged, get loud. Get loud. You say, so I'm going to walk up this way. Now, let me tell you, when I'm home and I'm in my office and I'm laid back in that God-given recliner the Lord gave me, that's where me and Jesus meet, I'm studying, I'm preparing. How many of you know my sermons put me under conviction before they put you under conviction? There are many times, especially on Thursday, Miss Millie knows i got to preach that night, and she just disappears on Thursday. Gives me some time alone, and it is in those times that I roll off that chair and turn it into an altar. And when I pray on Thursday and you come to my door, you might think I've lost it because I'm praying loud. And if I'm really going through some struggles and the church is going through some struggles and the enemy's trying to bring division and opposition, I'm praying real loud. I'm sure the UPS man is going, I don't think I'll ring the doorbell today. I think he's a little unhinged. I love it. David said, I cried how? Come on. To who? And then here it is again. Everybody say it. Loudly I what? Plead with God for mercy i spill out oh just let it go can i tell you he already knows you think it anyway Harry knows you think it anyway you go i can't say that to god he already knows it's in your mind i spill out how many of my before him and i spell out my in now look when you come see me i don't want your details How many of you people really think you mean it when you say, how are you? They really think you mean it. They really think you want to know. So when you go to God, guess what? He wants to hear the, come on, details. Because it's prayer. You're getting down to the bottom. You're digging to the foundation. He says in Psalm 142, as I sink in despair, my spirit, what? Ebbing away, you know how I'm feeling. You know the danger I'm in. You know the traps hidden in my path, that temptation. And they're wrapped in darkness. He never, he never puts the, uh, go back guys. He never puts, puts the traps in the light. How many of you know the enemy never puts the traps in the light? He always puts the traps in the darkness. Next slide. He says, look right, look left. There's not a soul who cares. Boy, David's feeling bad, isn't he? He's down and out, man. He says, God, i got to go to you because nobody else cares what happens to me. I'm up against it with no exit. Between a what? Rock and a hard place. Bereft. It means I'm mourning, I'm grieving because I'm so alone. I'm left alone. And then go to the next one. He says, I cry out, God. Here, is there an overall theme in this? We're talking about coming out of discouragement, beating discouragement, defeating discouragement. What do we keep seeing over and over again? I cry out to God. You've cried to everybody else. You've whined to everybody else. You've let everybody else know how discouraged you are. You've let everybody else know how down and out you are. You've let everybody else know how bad your life is except God. Cry out to God. I cry out to God. I call out, you're my last chance. You're my only hope for life. 
If you're the only one who's going to act in my favor. Oh, listen, please listen. I've never been this low. This is the Bible. This is David. You know he's the one who beat Goliath, right? You understand that? Look how low he is. I've never been this low. Rescue me from those who are hunting me down. You ever felt that way? I'm no match for them. Last slide. Get me out of this dungeon, this pit, so I can thank you in public. I love this last sentence because it just tells us the importance of our life groups and the importance of our prayer ministry. Your people will form a circle around me. See, if you're not in a life group, if you're not in a group of other believers outside this big group in here on Sunday morning, you're setting yourself up for failure. That's why we do life groups. That's why we urge you and push you to get involved in a life group because uh, he says, the people in a small group will form a circle around me. They know my need. They've heard my cry. And he said, and God, they will pray for me. They will be over me. And you'll bring me what? Showers of blessing. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Go home and read it. Go home and study it. Order these notes. Get these notes. And do your own study. Make the notes better. Send them back to me. I'll preach this series again next year. We need to hear this, don't we?